Hello, and welcome to the BookBat Podcast, here to help you navigate and explore the world of Christian fantasy books. I'm your co-host, Carlissa J. And I'm the other co-host, Jason. So on this podcast, we are continuing our experiment from last time with questions in the jar. The infamous jar. It will be a jarring experience. No doubt. Of course. So, who's going to pick out the first question? How about we just dump them on the floor? Dump them around the table. And then what? Boom. I grabbed one. Okay. The, the jar's not big enough. I don't want to reach my hand in there. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's what's going on. <laughs> yeah. It's called convenience. Okay. Deal with it. <clears throat> Are there any discernible trends in Christian fantasy? Are they different than the trends in secular fantasy? Are the, and are there any untapped markets, aka noteworthy subgenres, that Christian fantasy has yet to truly pursue? So I guess I'm starting to answer that. Of course you are, because I said the question. Mm-hmm. So you're going to answer it and be smart. Oh, well, my smartness was going to be, you know, I used to feel I understood the trends in Christian fantasy. I feel like I have a lot of question marks right now. It seems like there's a lot more leaning towards sci-fi Unless fantasy. I wonder if that's because fantasy's gotten so overblown that people don't want to write real fantasy anymore. I was going to say it's because people are becoming more and more urban and fantasy, I think, almost depends on more of a connection with nature and with uh, older history and that sort of thing. And sci-fi leans more into urban. sci-fi leans more into urban, yeah. Genius. Brilliant. No, seriously, actually, that's actually a very good connection. I did not put that together. That is very good. You're smart. So that's why I like fantasy, because I was raised in more of a rural-type environment. And even now, even though we technically live in a city, it's more of a rural-type city. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, so that would explain why we connect more with fantasy than sci-fi. Brilliant. And I like nature and animals, so... And yeah. so do I. I do too. Don't mm-hmm. don't yeah. knock me here. We like nature and animals. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's be inclusive. The other thing I've been seeing in Christian fantasy that's thrown me off, maybe it shouldn't, I, I don't know what to think of it, is all the re-releases happening of books that came out in like the 70s and 80s or maybe 90s um, that these Christian publishing companies are signing on authors who wrote fantasy decades ago and re-releasing their books maybe that's to fill out the author's portfolio with that publishing house yeah but this is like they're newly signing on these authors yeah i know so like we'll say oh you mean like start off re-releasing the old books and then start releasing new books probably that 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 would be a strategy that's one way to do it especially if they have books from decades ago that are either out of print or their contracts are available for renewal or however that works. So that could be a legitimate option. Or maybe they're just, you know, on Disney Plus all the time and going, wow, there's a lot of re-releases of stuff from (laughs) 20 plus years ago. Let's do that. And I will say I haven't really kept up with secular fantasy, so... Me neither. The one thing I want to throw in there, though, is that basically... The thing I've come to determine when it comes to just Christian media in general, it seems, there are exceptions to this, but it seems like Christian media is 10 years behind secular. 
Whatever was a, a trend in the secular media, give the Christian media about 10 years and they'll follow right on behind it. After Maybe. they figure out a way to Christianize it. Uh, the subgenre that I want to see more of is, um, okay, what is it technically called? Naturalist xenofiction or something like that. Ooh, yeah. Where you have animal characters. That actually that behave actually as animals. actually behave more like animals. Yeah. So Sometimes it leans more in towards fantasy and has fantastical elements based on their spirituality and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Which, uh, would the warrior cats fit in that? Yeah. Okay, so that would be another example. Um, and, you know, for a reference point, I know I always refer to this book series. I will again. The Red Wall series would not qualify as xenofiction. Well, it does qualify as xenofiction because xenofiction just means that it's non-human lead characters. But it wouldn't be naturalist xenofiction. Right, because essentially in the Red Wall series, the animals take on human traits to the, right down to the part where they walk on two legs. They have... Mm-hmm hands essentially yada 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 um, but i don't know i don't know if that's hugely popular i know the warriors series is popular but that might be a case where for whatever reason it struck gold and like how long has the warriors series been around for though that's a good question so it might have been popular when it started but now it's since faded out of popularity and really so the warrior no, no no i mean the it's... genre that oh, type of genre. that type of storytelling. So the Warrior Cats is just keeping on going because it's already got an established audience. Whereas someone new trying to break in might look at that and go, "There's not really a market for new stuff when it comes to this, so why bother?" I would like to see a Christian take um, on that sort of genre. So uh, when you say trends or whatever or, or untapped markets. Can I include different types of storytelling that haven't been... Oh, yes, you want to talk about. Yes. Okay, yes. okay. I have okay. something to say here. I got something to say! <laughs> manga. There. Right there. Manga. All the way. We need manga. Because manga is awesome. <laughs> what? Okay, like the common complaint I've heard when... Uh, I forget where I heard this, but somebody started yipping about how there's... Oh, there's no Christian comic books, blah, 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 because they're so expensive to put out or whatever, or at least in physical copy, because I think you mentioned uh, the printing expenses, because you need to print mm-hmm. it on different paper and stuff that's higher and just novel yeah. type stuff. Yeah. So that makes a certain... Different paper, different types of ink, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and that makes a certain amount of sense, sure. And also, there's just more people, generally speaking, more people involved in a comic book, because, you know, you got... You know, the writer, the artist, the inker, the penciler, the yada, yada, yada. The colorist. Oh, man, the list goes on. It's crazy how many people are involved or can be involved. Whereas manga, or at least a lot of the manga I've looked at, it's only it tops two people. But for the most part, it's the same person who writes and draws the whole kit and caboodle because it's, it's black and white. Simpler. And you can use a regular novel paper. Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, and I get it because this whole Christian media type thing is largely a Western culture thing and, well, conservative Western culture, if I'm being honest. And conservative Western culture isn't all on board with, like, Japanese anime or manga for that matter. So I get why this hasn't happened yet, but it's like, come on, this is a really good. Way it it of sort story. of happened with 
the Tomo the series, Zonder Kids projects. Yeah, and the Tomo series, and there was the Tomo a couple. Tomo series of, was just one of them. Yeah, but that didn't last, obviously. And I'm like, okay, why? Especially with manga sales just skyrocketing at this point, why the heck have and Christians more tried to jump on that bandwagon? Especially since the benefit would be is that a lot of manga originates in Japan and then it comes over here, which, you know, stuff gets lost in translation. There may be things that make sense for the Japanese market that doesn't make sense for here, yada, yada, yada. I want to say the big movie company principle. If what you're doing is already making a lot of money, why bother trying something new? That's risky. You're telling me that Christian medias and Christian fantasy books are doing well right now well okay not christian (laughs) fantasy books but like christian inspirational books i'm pretty sure make a lot of money they seem well christian inspirational books yeah because essentially it's just somebody going putting down a book where it's essentially a glorified testimony Woo! that takes a Mm -hmm. lot of effort no i'm talking about like amish romances and that sort of thing Okay, uh, sweetie, I'm going to pull this, okay? Inspirational fiction is what it's called. <clears throat> we don't talk about inspirational fantasy. We don't talk about fiction. whatever. We don't talk about it. <laughs> I was trying, okay, sweetie? I was trying, okay? So, yeah, that's an untapped market that I honestly believe that should be pursued. And if I had the artistic talent, I would pursue it. But I don't. I'd like to write manga. That'd be fun. But I lack the artistic talent to actually, you know, graphically do it right. And that's the other thing about manga that I think is a strength of it. Is the fact that you can tell the story in different ways. That relies on the audience paying attention to the graphics and stuff like that. And different subtleties in there. As well as, you know, what's being said. But that's just me. All right, moving on. Question number two. Are there any books that all fantasy readers should read in order to better understand what the genre looks like at its best or to understand its trends and cliches? Which books would those be? Um, Okay. Uh, In recommending books to read, would we be talking exclusively Christian here or can we include some non-Christian stuff? Oh, include whatever you want. Recommendation, easy one. Redwall. Read the Redwall series. They are great books. I love them. You should love them too. No questions. What would you say they help people better understand the fantasy genre? That it can be awesome, and this is a version of it being done right. (laughs) I don't know. If you want to get into books to see what it can help you better understand what it can be at its best, oof, then that almost requires an overdosage of it being... Not technical, but almost kind of nerdy in its own lore and stuff like that. What do you mean? A lot of people, I'm finding at least, are shockingly not familiar with the fact that The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit aren't the be-all, end-all of Middle-earth lore. Yeah, there's also Silmarillion. Children of The Children of Hurin, etc., etc. And... I'm still working through the Children of Hurin right now, but one thing that it's really hammered home to me is that the lore is, like the whole extended Middle-earth thing is, would be an example of world building at its best for fantasy. 
but it's so big, so comprehensive, etc. That actually, I think a lot of people, if they even if they know it exists, it kind of spooks them from ever actually reading it or diving too much into it. Yeah, the Silmarillion is. Uh, I'm on like page sixty something. It's pretty dense. There's a lot there. Sweetie, page sixty something. How many pages are in that thing? Like four hundred? Three hundred and some, yeah. Oh my goodness. But um, plus, there's a bunch of appendices at the end. Okay, yeah, that's true. That's pretty common. To understand its trends and cliches, ooh, that's getting harder and harder because there was a phase in the er, in the two thousands, especially and maybe the early twenty tens, where there was a, a real bent towards uh, trying to recreate more Tolkien, Lewis-esque fantasy, which is where you got things like the Door Within trilogy, Dragons in Our Midst by Brian Davis. I would oh. say even the Passages series had kind of a Narnia kind of vibe to Ooh, it. Oh, yeah, big time. The, the one that Adventures and Odyssey team put out. Yeah, that was big. And then, well, later, then you even get the Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson. That's not really... That's really trying it's, to... It's not people from another world. No, but I do get the vibe that it's essentially trying to remind people of, in a lot of ways, of a Lewis and Tolkien type story. You know what I discovered that uh, I wasn't expecting? Um, I listened to on audiobook. I know. Audiobook. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't worry, sweetie. I'm quickly learning that that is the way of a very busy world, unfortunately. Um, listen to Lilith on audiobook. And by? By George MacDonald. Thank you. Thank you. Very important. Yeah, we need to specify this because otherwise someone might think it's a modern book, which it's mm -hmm. not. No, this is an older one from the 1800s. Damn, and writing towards... back then? Whoa. <laughs> towards the end, I was getting some narnia type vibes and i read somewhere somebody some people at least have the conclusion that lilith inspired the chronicles of narnia well not surprising considering that wasn't it lewis himself who's called george mcdonald his master if you will yeah so not really surprising in terms of trying to talk about, about its trends and cliches a lot of christian fantasy seems to come back to trying to recreate tolkien's the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, or Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. That's honestly where we seem to be stuck in terms of trying to repeat. Anything else just seems to be a repeat or trying to make a Christian version of whatever's popular in the current day in the wider culture. Maybe. But so, like, what So what like with the whole Christina uh, Cow... Well, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. Carlosa, um, the How to Train Your Dragon series was a book series before it was made into a movie. A pretty well-selling well book series by Chrisita Cowell, or however yeah. you say her name. And then maybe this is by coincidence, but the cynical side of me goes, eh, I'm not so sure. Then you get a lot of the dragon aim stuff, like Dragons in Our Midst, and... The uh, Dragon Spell series. Yeah. And then what was the one I that Brian Davis... No, Brian Davis Brian was Dragons in Our Midst, yeah. Dragons in Our Midst, but the guy who wrote the... That book that I read that you made me read a couple mm -hmm. in the last year, the you know the one with the uh, girl, the one that you said was a ripoff of the Underground Railroad. That was Brian Davis. That was yeah. Brian Davis too. Yeah. Oh Brian wow. Davis has written a lot. Oh wow, he was really stuck and he's on the still writing. He, well, I figures they never <laughs> stop until they die. Now he's writing more 
I want to say supernatural kind of stuff. Makes Ghost sense. Kind you, of stuff. Well, makes sense. You, if you I think see, is where he is. Right I now. stopped reading the Dragons in Our Midst series at book number four, and that's where it was already going. Hmm. It jumped the shark from where it started to way into the supernatural. So I'm not surprised. But I, like, what's popular in fantasy right now? In terms of books. Yeah, I know Wings it, of Fire. I, I think is still pretty popular. I don't remember who the author is for that. Honestly, it a lot of it does seem to mirror whatever's being brought into the public consciousness. What do you mean? Well, like um, here's a good example. Uh, the Bad Guys. Okay, that is actually a series of books that DreamWorks later took and adapted into a movie in last year, or at least that's when they released it was last year. You look at those books now, and I'm seeing those books just flooding bookstores today. They were popular beforehand, too. No, I'm not saying they weren't, but I'm saying that they were. Get, they definitely got a very notable resurgence because it wasn't like something like, say, Captain Underpants, where you would see Captain Underpants everywhere. So the movie coming out, the Captain Underpants movie really didn't affect that too much. In terms of noticeability and how much it was being pushed for the general public. Whereas the movie definitely affected the bad guys. But like you walk into a bookstore, uh, just your average bookstore. Mm -hmm. What's being advertised for fantasy? Wings of Fire is the only one that I can can come to mind right away. Different manga series. Well, and that's the thing. Manga is a little bit different considering most of it or originates out in Japan and mm-hmm. what filters through to the North America. There's a process that I'm not going to go into right now. Like for me, at least, what I've noticed, at least the stuff that's on those display tables, the stuff that you're supposed to see when you first walk in, mm-hmm. a lot of that when it comes to fantasy is seems to be something that was made into a movie or TV show mm-hmm. lately. Like Harry Potter stuff or? Well, Harry Potter, a bunch of the popular TV shows out now that are still being put out right now are, you know, based off of books that aren't even that old, if we're being honest. I don't know enough to start listing all of them off, but I remember noticing that. So yeah, now that we've completely muddled that, (laughs) on to the next one. What are the strengths and weaknesses of Christian fantasy? Do they differ from the strengths and weaknesses of non-Christian fantasy? Reading a lot of older stuff, like George MacDonald's... Yes, I've been reading a lot of classics, and it has put me in... No, but it's... Okay, and here I'm going to come to your defense on this one. The blunt honesty of it is, especially when it comes to Christian fantasy... Since a lot of its efforts does seem to be focused on trying to pump out the next Lewis or Tolkien product, it does make actually a lot of sense to go back to stuff from that era or predating that era even. Mm -hmm. Because, as you've pointed out to me, there's a lot of really good stuff there that has simply gotten forgotten by the wider audience. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about George MacDonald's works. Um, and one thing Tolkien said, J.R.R. Tolkien said in his article or essay on fairy stories, is he argued there are three elements to good fairy story. Uh, I don't remember what two of them were. What really I remembered was the magical element, which he said George MacDonald excelled at. That's an element that I don't think most Christian fantasy authors or even many regular fantasy authors, secular fantasy authors, 
are very good at these days. I think that creating more... a sense of like one thing Tolkien magic, mentioned magic is... and the unexplainable. Which yes, that's the one trick. thing Tolkien mentioned was you never explain away the magic or that ruins it. That actually explains a lot about Encanto. Now that I think about it, what you never find out about the how the mm-hmm. magic of the house really works in the mm-hmm. Encanto movie and they never or why ex- they get the magic or anything oh, it's just or exactly how it works or explained whatever as it's a gift they yeah. were given a gift and they were given never, a miracle and it never gets explained and that's to the story's strength mm-hmm. but Whereas, by and large carlos i've noticed in media in general okay mm-hmm. bit books movies tv shows even comic books which is incredibly frustrating because comic books are especially the superhero type are high level fantasy for me like Okay, there's so much of that stuff that, yeah, it's just better off not explained. But everyone wants an explanation for everything nowadays, it seems. So when you do that, you take away from the kind of, that kind of magical feeling of the spectacular. Or the mysterious. Yeah, it's like, oh, you don't fully know. We don't fully know how this works. And we're not supposed to know. But it's kind of like the audience and maybe even the authors are just kind of like well that's not acceptable for us not to know everything Mm -hmm. there you go western arrogance for you (laughs) we need to know everything i guess that was something that people have mentioned as a strength of gene wolf's books that makes it difficult for a lot of readers to get into is he will frequently drop like hints of lore and stuff like that that nothing will be explained in detail it's just like oh apparently this is something in their world like there's uh, this fleeting reference to uh, sometimes alien raiders will come down and steal stuff off the planet. But it's this very brief fleeting reference. And it's like, uh, as far as I read, you never hear about it again. But I want to say, trying to think of like series that are modern, that do a good job with magic. The Dragon Prince is the first one that comes to mind. Oh, the dragon. Prince. Oh, that's a good show. I love it. Is it a book series? I can't remember okay. if it's or not. I don't know if it was a book series first that got translated into a show or if it's the other way around, but there are some books. Oh, I might have to read those because, oh man, if it's anything like the TV show, I am in. I'm all in on that. That show is amazing. I love it. But we should probably warn our audience of Christian oh, viewers oh, that there well, is LGBTQ well. content. Sorry. Just... Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Modern TV shows. Modern TV shows. What do you do? I'm sorry, but it's like, what do we expect? People don't inherently share all our values, so why do we expect them to at all times? But that's a rant for another time. Sorry. But yeah. Um, for Christian books, I can see why Aralia's Colors by Jeffrey Overstreet got some attention because it... It did a good job of the magic. I'm trying to remember. Did you get me to read that one? No. Okay, good. I would say overall, I mean, I found it overall okay, but I would say where it was strong, it was strong on the magical side of things. Well, specifically unexplained magic. Yeah, it doesn't really explain. It's just that, and it isn't like this magical spells or anything like that. It's just that some people have a talent for Mm. drawing out, you could say, the magic that is within everything and they see it and they can draw it out for others to see too kind of thing. That sort of tone. Hmm. Kind of sounds like the force. No, I'm serious. And that's one thing, honestly, that I think when Star Wars is at its best, the force is ambiguous. Mm. They don't try to nail it down to something. 
you know, it's kind of like, it could be this, maybe it's a little bit of this, maybe it's a little bit of that. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. <laughs> to me, it strengthens the sense of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Because... Sci-fi tries to explain pretty much everything. Well, but fantasy... Well, okay, but that's... It's in the name, okay? You say sci-fi, okay? What's part of that? Science. And science... But The point I of science say, is explaining things. Whereas I fantasy... Disagree. I see as more like a childlike, maybe childlike's the wrong idea, but kind of like that thing where mm-hmm. a child doesn't always feel the need to explain mm-hmm. everything. Sometimes things just are. I would say our perception of science is it's about explaining things. Okay. Listening okay. to actual scientists, it's more about discovery and exploration because there is so much that so we, lose we the can't science. explain. So we lose the science when we try to write it down. Got it. <laughs> Maybe lose some of the spirit of science when we try to write it down and catalog it. fiction. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Or even just in in general, when we try to explain science. Well, yeah, because we got to sound smart. We can't sound smart if we go, yeah, we don't really know everything what we're talking about here. It's like fun. I read a little snippet about dark energy makes up, according to what I was reading, dark energy makes up about 72% of the universe. And its description (laughs) of what dark energy is, it's, this is a force that makes up most of the universe that we don't really understand. (laughs) <clears throat> dark energy it surrounds us penetrates us binds the galaxy together <laughs> <laughs> you could almost say something like that it's like hearing, wow. hearing scientists okay, try to yeah. talk about dark energy and stuff it's like basically we don't know anything <laughs> we, we just gotta make, uh, find the opposite of dark energy and then we have the force we have discovered the force <laughs> sorry I got excited there. <laughs> or maybe we just need to give it a different name other than dark energy. You know, that, that just sounds ominous thought. here. It's like, it, yeah, it's like you know, according that, that world, you know, in that book, The World According to Spider-Man, your name is everything. So if your name is Victor Von Doom or something like that, just forget it. You're a bad guy. Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Same deal here. We got to change it from dark energy to something else because otherwise it's bound to be evil. Are the central values in Christian fantasy inherently different than the central values in secular fantasy? Hmm. 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 What? I don't know. Okay. And here's my answer. I don't honestly believe that the inherent values in Christian fantasy are different than those in secular you know what? The difference I am is the, the difference. Okay, just let me finish. Mm-hmm. The difference is more in how it's presented. Because like, there's a lot of secular stuff out there that promotes the values of selflessness, of honesty, or hard work, or whatever. There's lots of stuff. You know, like heck, the superhero genre is all about self-sacrifice. For crying out loud. Honestly, to me at least, it just seems like the only real difference is that the Christian puts on essentially a Christian Christmas paper wrapping over it. That's my Mm -hmm. perception. I'm going to say the best classical fantasies didn't focus on values. They they were more about exploring topics. Like Lilith by George MacDonald is more about exploring the nature of death and life. But that's exploring... 
But and okay, till we have faces by C.S. Lewis is exploring the nature of deity. It's less about but teaching, but I would say yes, secular and Christian fantasy is about teaching selflessness and heroism and bravery and self-sacrifice. Yes. Okay. So, but here's the thing: not that making I'm... stupid choices with dark magic. <laughs> The thing that I want to draw from your response there is what you just said. You said topics. When topics get brought up today, they want something specific and current day mm. type stuff. So like whether it's the, you know, a specific example of racism that reflects how racism might look now mm. or whatever, take your government corruption or whatever take your pick mm. whereas what you're taught mentioned with those topics that were brought up in classic fantasy those are more topics about the human condition and stuff mm -hmm. like that and different thoughts and struggles that are bigger and aren't encapsulated in one specific moment in time mm. so and that's what i think makes those books still resonate today is because they're not trying to reflect a certain point in time or a certain point in understanding of these things it's more of a almost philosophical type approach of trying to understand these mm -hmm. ideas these truths that sort of thing mm -hmm. but what i mean like is less trying to convey a specific moral and more teasing out the complexity of the nature of reality well and that's one thing with soup okay I I'm going to give a little spoiler here about me. I'm more into the superhero comics than the movies. The movies, honestly, they aren't nearly as good as the comics can be. And while, yes, the comics, you know, superhero comics, essentially at the heart, the main, the central values are always self-sacrifice, bravery, honor, yada, yada, yada. That almost never changes. The values aren't the central point of it, hmm. if that makes sense. Like, and a... Uh, and Tom King's Batman run for DC Rebirth, that was primarily about a man wrestling with his brokenness and trying to find a level of peace with it. You know, essentially he's wrestling with a giant what if question, you know, what if I could have this? What if I could have that? Or what if this could be different? You know, would that be a bad thing or, you know whatever so and that to me gives the story its strength as opposed to yeah the whole self-sacrifice and stuff like that's like whatever they're a hero that's kind of in the job description if you stop doing that you're not heroes really being heroes is still a good thing to have because i know no, culture I'm not is often often or culture these days is kind of moving towards the are heroes really heroes should heroes be heroic kind of thing that's like don't be ridiculous <laughs> okay sweetie you do that and i think about that ducktales episode we got that guy who's trying to pitch the darkwing duck movie <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what he's trying to do if he's trying to be some sort of christopher nolan type guy or whatever and we go oh is you know but aren't we all the hero and the villain in our own stories? To which the fan of the actual Darkwing Duck character and lore, or Launchpad with Quacks going, I just, uh, what? <laughs> so, yeah, no, just, no, don't, don't go there, okay? That's a so can of So having heroic so heroes is great, 
It's just be nice also to, yeah, explore different philosophical topics. Well, and to me, that's something that honestly, I kind of wonder if fantasy in general just struggles with that currently. Or at least... It's kind of what it was designed to do. No, okay, fine, but there, there seems to be a giant push. I've definitely noticed this in the comics, which is why, you know, I used to buy a ton of DC comics, especially... I quit buying Marvel a long time ago oh, for this very reason that eventually crept into DC full-time that kind of pushed me away is that it was all began to focus on reflecting current-day struggles, current-day thoughts, mm. current-day reactions or whatever. And I got away from wrestling with, you know, more timeless human questions mm. and stuff like that. So and I was just kind of like, dude, if I wanted to hear that stuff, I'd you know listen to a news commentary whether it's on you know a news channel or a podcast or whatever lord knows you can find those without trying and i kind of wonder if fantasy is starting to get away from that a bit or at least the stuff that easily gets pushed obviously if you look hard enough you'll find some stuff that doesn't get bogged down in it but are we just losing a sense of the magical and mysterious I think that's part of it. And also, and I it's think... It's hard to keep writing fantasy. You end up having to write sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what we're saying. Fantasy is dying and sci-fi is cut rising from its ashes. Regrettably. <laughs> well, sci-fi and fantasy have existed about as long as each other. Or maybe yeah. it's just like a cyclical wave. You know, one rises, the other falls. No, oh, I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> I've heard they're arguably always been in conversation with each other and influencing each other well i can see that and i can also see that just being like for someone on the outside like say your mom she probably wouldn't see the difference between fantasy and sci-fi mm. and no that wasn't a your mom joke i was <laughs> seriously talking about her mom my mother-in-law <laughs> to which we'll, we'll probably get a notice from your mom telling me how wrong i am she does seem to make a point of that i know but there are like yeah, confusion points. I would say Star Wars is more, in many ways, more fantasy than sci-fi. But people call it sci-fi a lot, which, yeah, no, you're right. If you look at the definition of sci-fi, it's like, no, Star Wars is not sci-fi. The the definition is a little lenient and played with kind of thing, but... Generally speaking, at least if you want to get into what would be more true sci-fi, you know, hard sci-fi is, mm -hmm. and Star Wars doesn't fit in that. Star Wars is on the way soft end of sci-fi, which is essentially fantasy. Just futuristic. Yeah. yeah. Which is ironic since it takes place in a long, long time ago yeah. in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. So. A long time ago and far away. I know, right? Very <laughs> fantasy. All <laughs> <laughs> right that it for this podcast i suppose it is i suppose it is and we will have to brainstorm what the next one's going to be about because i'm not sure if we have a plan we'll figure it out here's hoping all right so yeah be sure to follow us at book-bat.com and yeah be sure to leave a like or subscribe or download this however you do your podcast just to yeah kind of helps other people notice it a bit more. Mm -hmm. And you can tell other people about it. Ooh, that's a good one. Word of mouth. That's classic all the way. And you can also follow, well, I'm not going to lie. It's mostly Carlissa on Facebook here at, mm -hmm. is it BookBat now? Yes. <laughs> okay. That fills me with total confidence. 
that that is the case. But push comes to shove, just go to book-bat.com to keep up with us because, yeah, I can say with certainty, that's us. Mm -hmm. All right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.